the hearing of the Subcommittee on Commodity Exchanges, Energy, and Credit, entitled A 2022 Review of the Farm Bill, Rural Development Will Come to Order. Welcome and thank you for joining today's hearing. In consultation with the ranking member and pursuant to Rule 11E, I want to make members of the subcommittee aware that other members of the full committee may join us today. After brief opening remarks, members will receive testimony from our witness today, and then the hearing will be open to questions. Today's hearing with USDA's Undersecretary for Rural Development, Sochi Torres-Small, is an important opportunity for members of this subcommittee to evaluate the effectiveness of rural development programs and the implementation of the 2018 Farm Bill. First of all, I'd like to welcome Undersecretary Torres Small back to the Agriculture Committee. I think I speak for all of my colleagues when I say your presence on this committee is missed, but we are grateful for your continued public service in your new role. One of my goals for today's hearing is to highlight the strength of rural communities across America and to dig deeper on rural communities like those in Minnesota's 2nd Congressional District we can take advantage of opportunities that Congress has provided in the 2018 Farm Bill and subsequent legislation. One aspect of today's discussion and an integral part of the work of the Rural Development Team at USDA is that Americans should be able to choose where they want to live without having to make concessions on access to fast and reliable broadband internet, clean water, and affordable health care. Additionally, we must work to ensure that those diverse communities have the tools to thrive in a 21st century economy. Part of achieving that goal is to strengthen the reliance of local supply chains so that they can better support the distribution of commodities in a diverse economy where residents have access to tools that will support their learning and success. Another part of that goal is continuing to invest in renewable energy found uh, across rural America. Ultimately, rural America knows best how to invest in their communities. In this subcommittee over the past year, we have heard from rural stakeholders and residents about the problems they encounter and the resources they need most. Undersecretary Torres Small, thank you for accepting our invitation to speak before us today as we conduct important oversight work in preparation for the 2023 Farm Bill. I value that experience and insight you bring, and I look forward to hearing your testimony. I'd now like to welcome the distinguished ranking member, the gentlewoman from Minnesota, Ms. Fischbach, for any opening remarks that she would like to give. Thank you, Madam Chair. I appreciate the opportunity. And, um, you know, thank you, Undersecretary, for being here today. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, I would like to just uh, begin by remembering Jim Hagedorn. Jim was passionate about his work on the Ag Committee and serving the people of southern Minnesota. Our districts are very similar. And so I was fortunate to work with him on issues critical to our constituents, like promoting ethanol, expanding broadband access, improving livestock supply chains. I also want to thank the majority for starting these hearings for the next Farm Bill. I'm exci very excited to start this process. Each of us want to make this bill as strong as we can to serve our constituents. 
And as Ranking Member Thompson has said, collaboration at the committee level is necessary to make that happen. Holding hearings like this one will help us all better understand what worked and what didn't work from the last Farm Bill. So the reauthorization accurately addresses the needs of our rural communities. Through the 2018 Farm Bill, this committee made important improvements to USDA rural development programs to meet the health, communications, infrastructure, and economic development needs of rural Minnesota. We provided new and expanded authorities to help address the opioid crisis and the loss of rural health facilities, expand access to clean water and high-speed internet service, rebuild essential community facilities, strengthen rural employers and employees, and promote regional economic development. These pieces are critical components for building what I call strong rural communities. I am anxious to hear about the department's work implementing these programs and what additional resources or authorities are needed to enhance the rural development toolkit. I am particularly interested in hearing how deployment of rural broadband is going and the role the USDA plays. Last summer, we worked together to craft a bipartisan broadband bill, blending ideas from the ranking member Thompson's Broadband for Rural America Act with proposals from Chairman Scott and Chairman Delgado to develop the Broadband Internet Connections for Rural America Act. This legislation passed our committee unanimously in a clear display of just how robust broadband co connectivity is to our committee and the Americans we represent. This committee believes that USDA should have the outsized role in the development of broadband infrastructure in rural Minnesota, or excuse me, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, I think, uh, in rural America. I hope to hear more from the Undersecretary about how we can strengthen USDA's role in this important mission area. And again, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it, and I am looking forward to the hearing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I would now like to recognize Ranking Member Thompson for any opening comments he'd like to make. Madam Chair, thank you very much. Thank you to you and uh, Ranking Member for uh, for this hearing. And let me first echo Ms. Fishwalk's statements, uh, one regarding Jim Hagedorn, and uh, we'll be some of us will be attending a, a funeral uh, celebration of his life a little later uh, today. Um, and uh, he, uh, his... Uh, and his, uh, his presence is certainly is going to be missed in these halls and on this committee. And also thank, uh, uh, echo the ranking members, uh, statements, um, and, uh, thank the chair for calling this hearing on rural development title of the farm bill. Uh, I'm honored to, to welcome Undersecretary Tor Small back to the committee. Uh, uh, thrilled to see her. Um, you know, what a blessing to see an agriculture committee uh, uh, alumni in the rural development office, uh, someone who truly understands rural America and the challenges our constituents face. Yeah, it's great to see you back in the committee room, Undersecretary. Um, I recently read a very staggering statistic that I would uh, like to share with you all. And according to the Federal Communication Commission's 2021 broadband report, more than 500,000 Pennsylvanians are without access to broadband connectivity. In fact, Pennsylvanians living in rural areas are 11% more less likely than their urban and suburban counterparts to have internet service at home. Now, this very statement is proof for the ongoing digital divide. In the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, we, uh, as a committee, 
uh, enacted provisions tackling rural and regional broadband development and deployment issues across the nation while prioritizing resources to the most remote and least connected residents who are also often the most expensive to connect. You know, we must continue to look for ways to, to bring rural America into the 21st century. And I know this is an issue that you're passionate about, Undersecretary. Agriculture Committee Republicans are ready and eager to work with you on improvements to the rural development mission area. But we cannot do that without willing partnership and proactive engagement uh, from you and the rest of, of the Department of Agriculture. Our partnership falters when the department acts unilaterally and ignores the concerns of members of this committee or fails just to engage the committee in the development of, uh, of the work that they're doing and only seeks our or nor or seeks our counsel or input when new authority or funding is needed. Now we share the responsibility for governing and addressing the needs of rural America, and we we can only meet that obligation if we work together. Uh, historically, the uh, I'm very proud of the fact that the House Ag Committee is one of the most I would say the most bipartisan committees in Congress. Our dais is ringed with an impressive, dedicated group of members who are committed to rural America, just like everyone at USDA is. Now, I hold out hope that we can develop a fruitful, consistent partnership with USDA that best serves our rural communities. You, you might be surprised about what we can accomplish when, uh, when we work together. Um, I thank you for joining us, and I look forward to today's oversight uh, conversation. Thank you, Madam Chair, and I yield back. Thank you so much, Ranking Member. The chair would request that other members submit their opening statements for the record so our witness may begin her testimony and to ensure that there is ample time for questions. I'd like to again welcome our witness today, USDA's Undersecretary for Rural Development, Sochi Torres Small. We will pr now proceed to hearing your testimony. You will have five minutes. The timer should be visible to you and will count down to zero at which point your time has expired. Undersecretary Torres Small, please begin when you are ready. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you, Chair Craig. Thank you, Ranking Member Fishbach. Thank you, Ranking, Ranking Member Thompson. Thank you, all members of the subcommittee, for the chance to come before you today and discuss the state of the United States Department of Agriculture's rural development mission area. I also deeply appreciate your comments about Congressman Hagedorn, a former colleague of mine. Last week, I was in the Black Belt, and I saw firsthand the wastewater crisis that Americans there have been experiencing for decades. And when you don't have good wastewater, you may also be drinking dirty water because of contaminated wells. Rural Development has been working on this for some time, and specifically trying to get folks to sign up for drinking water systems so that we can continue the operations and maintenance necessary to do that work. So that means getting people to sign up for these systems, getting them to trust a government that has all too often let them down. And so one rural development employee uh, decided to go door to door in rural Alabama, uh, talking with constituents, trying to get them to sign up for this program. And one woman almost threw him out. She said, I've been drinking this water from this well my entire life. Government hasn't helped me yet. Why should I think that they'll help me now? He finally, he sat down with her and convinced her to let him test her water. And when the test results came back, the person testing asked if the sample had come from a septic tank because there was that much bacteria in the water. She now has clean water. She signed up for the service, and that's a success story. But it also shows how much time it can take with just one person to rebuild that trust. And so 
I want to thank you for the time that you put in to listening to and representing your constituents, to the thoughtful investments that you make in rural development so that we can continue to do this work together. I recognize that call to service, and I am deeply grateful to get to work with you. I'm also proud uh, that President Biden and Secretary Vilsack have laid out a clear vision for agriculture and rural America, building back better from COVID-19, expanding options for more and better markets for farmers and ranchers, helping us all survive extreme weather and build resiliency through climate smart tools, and reaching people in places that have been historically underserved, advancing racial justice, equity, and opportunity. Because rural America has incredible potential, but it cannot be fully realized without reliable infrastructure. That looks like broadband, but it also looks like hospitals, schools, community centers, water and wastewater services, housing, sustainable energy, all of which are critical for quality of life as well as for growth and resiliency. Your work as representatives means you're clear-eyed on the challenges that we'll face in turning these investments into infrastructure on the ground. I know I'm in a rural community when I'm in a room full of people who care deeply about their home, but not one of them is a grant writer, which means that we're going to have to take a hard look at how we deliver our programs equitably. We're going to have to recognize that we haven't always done a good job giving people a fair chance of success, and it means we're going to be working hard to reduce barriers into the future. We're the only agency in the federal government with a specifically rural mission. And one of the keys to our success is the staff's commitment to that mission. Our team lives and breathes it. That's why when offices are understaffed or decades-old technology systems take extra time that could allow them to instead, that could otherwise be used to reach people uh, in rural places, it can take a toll on them. It can wear down staff morale, reduce quality of customer service, and could erode hard-won relationships with rural partners. We're going to need to keep those relationships strong to take on the challenges of the future, like supporting innovations in our food system and partnering with farmers and ranchers, investing in energy efficiency, renewable energy systems, and higher blend biofuels infrastructure, and being there to help people across rural America turn their vision for their home and their kids into a re reality in the places that they love. Amidst the tremendous challenges of our time, I see hope and opportunity in rural America. I see businesses eager to build new markets, farmers forging climate smart solutions, and people who've been left behind open to building new relationships. If we take our cue from them, I'm confident we'll do our job right. Thank you, and I look forward to answering your questions today. Thank you so much. At this time, members will be recognized for questions in order of seniority, alternating between the majority and minority members. You'll be recognized for five minutes in order to allow us to get to as many questions as possible. Please keep your microphones muted until you're recognized in order to minimize background noise. I'd like to start by recognizing myself for five minutes. First, on strengthening local and regional supply chains, uh, I would, would love to address local and regional meat processing as a key part of resilient rural economies. Uh, Madam Undersecretary, you mentioned the $1 billion investment that USDA is making via a food supply chain guaranteed 
loan program made possible by the American Rescue Plan funds. That's in addition to $500 million for meat and poultry processing announced in July of 2021. How will USDA ensure that these programs help existing processing facilities scale up their operations via staffing and infrastructure investments? And how does USDA see these programs as complementary and not overlapping? Thank you so much, Chairwoman Craig. This is a crucial issue, uh, of course, for farmers and ranchers who, in the midst of COVID-19, were trying to find some place to process their product and had no options. They uh, had people who wanted their beef, but uh, were going to have to wait a year before there was a chance there was room in the slaughterhouse. So we're trying to address this on the ground by expanding options and building out the middle uh, to make that investment. So right now, we have uh, the Food Supply Chain Guaranteed Loan Program that has helped uh, identify potential projects as well as lenders who might be uh, eager to work with us on this issue. We've also uh, announced MPEP, which is really building out that middle, uh, identifying uh, middle middle market projects that are very close to completion. How can we support that last step of investment uh, to get them online and operating, uh, expanding the number of hooks available? And we're also eager to take on new projects, identifying where there's others that are more in the formation piece and how we can work with local lenders uh, to potentially support uh, additional projects in the future. So I look forward to working with you on that and, and certainly want to recognize that uh, what we're looking at now is how we expand the existing service uh, so that people have options, so that farmers have options, uh, as do uh, people in the supermarket. Perfect. Well, listen, uh, let's turn to rural health care. We could talk about this uh, for hours, but uh, the emergency rural health care grants in the American Rescue Plan provided the Rural Housing Service Community Facilities Program up to $500 million to eligible applicants to expand access to COVID-19 testing and vaccines, telehealth services, food assistance, and the long-term sustainability of rural health care. Has the program been successful? Did any of the changes made to the existing CF program prove successful enough to potentially warrant incorporation into permanently authorized CF programs? Uh, Chairwoman Craig, it is crucial that we respond to the challenges both experienced in the midst of COVID-19 when it comes to health care, but also that rural America is facing as a whole when it comes to health care. When we see increasing numbers of rural hospitals closing, uh, when we see challenges in workforce, and also just people being able to get care close to home. Uh, we were able to, with community facilities, set up two programs through those ARPA funds, uh, 300 million on track one and then 150 million in track two. Track one was immediately responding to COVID. Track two is looking into the future and building resiliency. And we were impressed uh, with applications on both fronts. In track two, there certainly was more demand uh, th th than, than we expected. So we are eager to continue to, to get out those awards and certainly willing to provide technical assistance if it's a, a program you're, you continue to be interested in. I want to end my questioning here on rural broadband. Uh, can you share background on USDA's approach to the next round of ReConnect funding? What will the department prioritize? How will it ensure that all entities, including local providers, have access to those funds? 
I was in Lewis, Iowa the other day, and the mayor there remembers the exact spot on the hill that he used to have to go to make a cell phone call. Uh, a few months later, uh, rural development brought in some fiber. A cell phone company put up a tower right next to it, and now he can call from his phone uh, anywhere in Lewis, and he also can operate his business from home. Those are the kinds of impacts we want to make. Uh, our, our Reconnect Round 3 is targeted at reaching those places that no one has dared to go before. It's going to take ingenuity. Uh, it's going to take working with new communities, whether it's laying ground on the seafloor to reach an island off the coast, or whether it's reaching Alaska Native villages that you can't reach uh, even by road. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do, but we're, we're seeing a lot of interest. And we want to thank this committee for their foresight and in investing in broadband for so long, for decades, that's allowing us to take advantage of this moment. Thank you so much, Undersecretary Torres-Small. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. That concludes my five minutes. So I now recognize the gentlewoman from Minnesota, Ranking Member Fishbach, for five minutes. Thank you very much, the chairwoman from Minnesota. So, <laughs> yeah, it is a Minnesota morning. But, and thank you again, Undersecretary, for being here. And I just want to maybe expand a little bit on the, on the broadband issue. You know, I mentioned the bipartisan bill that we passed um, in my opening remarks. And, you know, that, that provided a drastic increase for resources available to the USDA rural development for broadband deployment. Um, in, in contrast to the just 3% of broadband funds allocated under the American Rescue Act, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and the proposed Build Back Better was for broadband programs under the USDA's purview. Um, and so I, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, the, the 2018 Farm Bill authorized a very similar um, program named Middle Mile Infrastructure Program to finance these types of programs or projects. Um, but this program has not has yet to be appropriated for funding. And do you believe that the rural development would be better prepared to finance these projects and handle these projects for rural areas? I just thank you so much for your focus on broadband and, and in your remarks as well as Ranking Member uh, Thompson's remarks, the, the focus on partnerships that are crucial to get broadband done, whether it's on a local community scale, whether it's in Congress, uh, whether it's between agencies. And because of your the uh, Ag Committee's investment in broadband for a long time, we have the skills that have uh, allowed us to stand up the programs that have been established for us uh, very quickly. Now, in terms of how, which, what the program looks like, we will certainly follow Congress's lead and, and do what you instruct us to do, and uh, really eager to provide technical assistance on any questions you might have as you do that. But thank you for having such a bipartisan approach to it. Thank you very much. And maybe switching a little bit, switching gears, uh, uh, you mentioned funding availability for biofuels, infrastructure, and assistance related to pandemic losses, and I am grateful for that. Uh, Minnesota's 7th Congressional District is one of the top producers of biofuels in the country, and it is in many cases the main employer or uh, source of economic activity in the town in which they operate. Um, what are your thoughts regarding biofuels, not just as a source of low-carbon fuels, but as an economic generator um, in these rural communities, especially as we consider USDA's authorities and programs in the Farm Bill. 
I was in Minnesota this past winter and I was just struck by the pride of the farmers and the community for being part of this solution when it comes to taking on climate change. Um, also the pride of the local market that it's created. I, I, I talked to someone who was both a local elected official and a banker who saw the impact it was having on their town. He was also a father who was hopeful that his daughter would be able to stay in this home because of the new job opportunities that are available. And I think that really speaks to exactly what you're talking about. I'm proud that USDA has invested $700 million in terms of providing support for those farmers and the experiences they had in the midst of COVID-19, and then another $100 million to, to build up that infrastructure that's crucial to delivering those climates, that climate-smart fuel close to home. Thank you very much, Undersecretary, and I yield back. The ranking member yields back. I now recognize the gentlewoman from Iowa, Ms. Axney, for five minutes. Thank you, Chairwoman, and thank you, Undersecretary Torres Small, for uh, joining us today. Very much appreciate seeing you as usual. Uh, I want, uh, listen, just wanted to touch base on a few things, but first, thank you so much uh, for your visit last uh, November to my district, where we announced a significant Rural Energy for America program to help Elite Octane, an ethanol plant in Atlantic, Iowa, be even more energy efficient. So thank you so much for your uh, approach to energy efficiency and looking at our states for that. After touring the plant, we had a great roundtable discussion with farmers and stakeholders on the benefits of biofuels and how it provides a cleaner alternative to fossil fuels and is a significant driver of economic opportunity in Iowa. At the end of the day, supporting rural communities is one of my top priorities in Congress, and so I've been laser focused on making sure that these issues, including rural broadband, which of course USDA plays a key role in, uh, is where I'd like to direct my first question. So uh, I appreciate the efforts of the USDA to ensure forward-looking speed standards in the latest round of ReConnect funding. Given the record $65 billion investment in broadband in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, as well as funds from the American Rescue Plan invested in broadband deployment across the country, which includes $200 million in Iowa. And then, of course, I'm very familiar with a lot of funding that we have in Iowa at a state level as well. I'm wondering, how is the USDA working to coordinate broadband efforts across multiple levels of government to make sure that these best practices are shared and we use the money effectively and efficiently as something we've been talking about in Iowa, quite honestly, for a long, long time. I'm glad we're going to get this done, but I want to make sure that we get the biggest bang for our buck. And I'm hoping you can shed a light on how that coordination will work. That's such an important question, Congresswoman Axney. And uh, it, what we're seeing, I think, in our conversation so far is just the importance of making sure that there are partnerships when it comes to broadband. It's, it's about coordination, but even more importantly, it's about truly partnering uh, with our federal agencies on the ground. And rural development has a lot to bring to that partnership. We have the long-tenured experience in broadband uh, because of the foresight of this committee. We have the new option to include grants in those applications, uh, as well as as to waive some of the matching requirements that we were able to do uh, in this most recent round. Uh, we also have expertise working in some communities that, uh, that, that we can really bring to the table, uh, whether it's working with NTIA on some of the assistance when it comes to Indian country, uh, whether it's getting that on-the-ground detail, the granularity that we require for our projects, which is house by house, to then supply information uh, as we work towards better maps. So rural development has a lot to bring to the table when it comes to coordination, and we're doing 
doing that robustly, whether it's weekly meetings at the White House, whether it's staff level communication about the timing of announcements, or making sure that we're keeping an eye on spaces, places where announcements have been made, for example, in RDOF and FCC, making sure that we'll be then communicating with the states uh, as they receive their money from NTIA. So there's a lot of work to, to be done. There's a lot of people who have different expertise that they're bringing to the table, and rural development is very proud to be part of that. Thank you so much for that. And listen, if there's anything that you want to communicate to us members as you move this move this forward, I very much appreciate it because to me, getting this done is so important. Uh, Iowa falls bottom of the barrel when it comes to connectivity. So thank you for that. Um, now I want to move on to uh, housing. Is of course you know USDA supports housing in rural areas. While in the future, I hope to see more investment in these programs to alleviate housing shortages that are quite honestly holding back rural communities over the long term. I'm just curious right now about the process and support for residents who are already there in existing housing supported by USDA. Uh, in Iowa, unfortunately, I've heard of reports of mismanagement, lack of maintenance, and some other illegal actions by Truverse, which is a property management company that receives USDA support. So uh, can you describe the rights renters in USDA properties have um, as far as terms of upkeep of the property, as well as oversight that the USDA does and if the USDA needs additional resources or abilities to fulfill uh, and support uh, the protection that those renters need. Congresswoman Axney, thank you for your focus on this. It's a crucial issue. Uh, rural development uh, operates uh, a large number of housing. So you often think of HUD when you think of housing. Uh, we have about a third of that stock, uh, of, of the same stock, uh, in rural communities specifically, which is crucial. To get to your point, we are committed to making sure that tenants living in places that have received USDA loans uh, do have the support that they need. Uh, we've been responsive in terms of making sure that there's new ways to uh, issue a complaint, for example. And we've been working with INET, uh, Iowa Finance Authority uh, to address some of those concerns. Uh, really appreciate your role in raising, uh, in raising these issues and look forward to continuing to work with you and your team to make sure that we are um, addressing these concerns. Because it's crucially important as we think about uh, housing in rural America. It's one of the key building blocks to make sure that people have a good life. And we work hard to make sure that people in, living in those, in those uh, facilities only pay 30% of their income for housing um, through some of the subsidized assistance that um, that's available through Congress. So we'll work to continue to do that. Thank you. I, I yield back. Thank you. I want to also thank uh, Congresswoman Craig for uh, filling in. Uh, appreciate that. And, and I now will uh, recognize uh, Ranking Member Thompson for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Madam Secretary, I want to thank you for your recent response uh, to our letter regarding the substantial changes in Reconnect program. And one of the questions I had was how you decided to advantage nonprofit applicants over for-profit applicants, since that so clearly broke with the longstanding operation um, and the precedence of the program. And unfortunately, I was left puzzled and, and some, somewhat unsatisfied with your response as it seemed to point to a priority within an unrelated and much older provision of the Rural Electrification Act to justify the department's current actions in, in implementing ReConnect. Um, uh, I think if you've talked with us before making this drastic change, we would have been happy to clarify that Congress has always wanted to encourage as many options 
for rural residents as possible and doesn't believe that that any type of broadband provider was more deserving of assistance than another. I think actually that's why USDA, we're always very proud, has been more effective at bridging the digital divide and quite frankly, uh, some of the other agencies within uh, within the federal government. So I, I hope we're not falling into some of the bad habits that uh, have made uh, some of these other agencies less than effective at bridging the digital divide. In my opening statement, I know that we, we want to work with you to address the needs of rural communities, um, but are frustrated at the many times that we've been excluded uh, uh not uh, this was one issue in rural development, but there's been others in other parts of USDA recently from major policy changes on, until the really excluded till the very last moment. Um, uh, Reconnect round three is is just one of those examples. Now I would just ask that to. Uh, uh, you know, just re- requested you please talk with us. We want to work with you before you embark on major policy changes. Um, these changes have consequences, and um, in the future, and particularly as you uh, undertake reconnect round four, um, you know, can you assure me that we'll, you know, you'll talk to us about major any major programmatic and policy changes, you know, before they get set in stone. Ranking Member Thompson, I I deeply appreciate your focus on broadband and how we can deliver it as appropriately as possible. Uh, Thank you for your very detailed letter addressing some of your your concerns, and we look forward to continuing to work with you. Uh, It's certainly, as we take on this next step, which are going to be some of the hardest projects, we're looking to bring in as many potential partners as possible. And to that point of coordination, one of the pieces that we see as one of our strengths is relationships with rural electric co-ops that potentially we can help bring to the table. And so in setting up this this, this small percentage of voluntary points um, as a way to try to get more people to be at the table solving problems, we're hopeful that this will uh, just create more options for communities that may not necessarily otherwise have folks who are looking to serve their area. Yeah, uh, yeah on the broadband area, obviously there was uh, discussions previously about, uh, you know, the great bipartisan work that uh, this committee did. Last summer with Chairman Scott, we worked out, worked on a bipartisan bill, passed unanimously, um, would really have bridged if not all, most of the digital divide um, would have created a circuit writer program like we see with rural water. We've done that for broadband. It would have provided a competitive grant program for mapping. Um, and unfortunately, we cannot get the Democratic leadership. And this is a frustration I share with Chairman Scott. We've worked on this um, hand in hand, actually, to, to try to get uh, Democratic leadership in the House to bring it to the table. So I, I would just ask that, um, uh, and I know Chairman Scott would appreciate this as well. Any help that you and USDA could do to influence uh, the, the Democratic leadership in the House to, to bring this very strong bipartisan bill to the table would be, be greatly appreciated. I, I know rural America would, would benefit from it. What, what was passed in the infrastructure bill? You know, $2 billion to USDA with inflationary costs. It's not going to go very far. We need to bridge the digital divide in rural America uh, to give uh, uh, rural Americans access to what they need to have today. If we'd have taken the same disjointed approach um, back in the 1930s to electricity, I think some of our communities, uh, probably the community I live in, was still being in the dark. That, uh, um, but um, 
Um, so I uh, appreciate that. I would also uh, just real quickly uh, on the meat processing assistance, um, you know, I'm supportive of the, the uh, notion of diversifying, enhancing processing capacity. I think that's a that's that's an approach I certainly uh, uh, appreciate. Uh, can, any brief comments on the level of interest that you've seen in the food supply chain guaranteed loan program and the projected timing of awards uh, or the types of projects that may be, be coming forward? It's been a great opportunity to extend conversation with new lenders who might be interested in supporting uh, expanding the food supply chain and specifically in meat marketing. So we're working on that, recognizing that with a guaranteed program, our our partners are the lenders who are then working to build those projects. So as we uh, work to educate about that program, we're also working to make sure they're aware of the additional opportunities that will be out there in the future. And it's provided a chance for us to to work more in an area that... that, um, uh, allows farmers and ranchers to build local markets and diversify their work. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you. Um, I will now recognize uh, myself uh, for five minutes. Um, first, let me just say it's good uh, to see you and the Secretary. I uh, appreciate you taking the time um, uh, to be here uh, today before uh, the committee and, and um, uh, looking uh, forward uh, to uh, being able to talk a bit more here about uh, rural economic development and the program initiatives um, that we think we can build upon uh, moving forward. Let me say, you know, it's important to understand as someone uh, that represents uh, the eighth most rural congressional district uh, in the country that, um, you know, figuring out how to have robust uh, regional rural economic development uh, resources is of utmost priority. Uh, For me, uh, as we recover from COVID-19, rural communities need access to targeted uh, resources. It's why I introduced the Rebuild Rural America Act, uh, which delivers resources directly to counties, towns and villages to address issues like food insecurity, high unemployment or lack of rural broadband. Uh, The key components of the program being that it provides non-competitive, multi-year and flexible funding to support the growth of our local rural economies. Uh, It would remove also bureaucratic hurdles and ensure the USDA staff are available for technical assistance, capacity building and oversight. Uh, Could you please talk to me about existing rural economic development programs, specifically the Stronger Economies Together uh, and the Strategic Economic Community Development Program. Uh, What are some characteristics of these two programs that have been effective uh, and how can we build upon the resources that have been provided by these programs to ensure uh, rural development staff and rural communities are working together uh, to develop plans for rural economic growth and can access funding to support these plans. I so appreciate Chairman Delgado. Thank you so much for the chance to to be here. And I deeply appreciate your uh, comment about how we can make sure that rural development staff is on the ground and working together with the communities, because those really are the two sides of the same coin in terms of the partnerships that we have to forge to address this. And so as we look at your legislation and recognizing there were similar related proposals, I think, in Build Back Better legislation, uh, that focus was on building that community capacity. Uh, One of the great ironies uh, of the approach that we've seen is that so often um, money goes 
to cities through CDBG grants that goes directly there. But for rural communities, they have to compete for those funds. And so certainly recognizing your effort to address that and to support community capacity. Uh, the other side of, of the work is making sure that we have rural development folks on the ground, uh, like the person I spoke about uh, in my opening statement, making sure that there are experts in the community. So not just in the projects and the programs and the loans and the grants and all of the requirements for the application, but also in knowing the people on the ground. And that's the other side of the coin. We need both of those uh, in order to reach places that we haven't been able to reach before. And, and just to make sure I understand um, those two pieces that you've you've highlighted in terms of uh, community capacity and, and folks on the ground, you think that um, when, you, when you think about the two programs I mentioned, the Stronger Economies Together and the Strategic Economic Community Development Program, are those um, you know key components of those two programs, or are there other types of aspects? Just could you just speak specifically to those two programs? Sure. So something we're continuing to work with your office on identifying what are the benefits and how do we take them into the future. And as we look at the farm bill, as we provide technical assistance for you, I think it will be about pulling out what works in those programs and how we take that into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, can can you just one little follow up here? Um, can you commit to, to working with us to identify opportunities to support you know, comprehensive uh, regional development planning efforts uh, and ensure we're providing rural communities with technical assistance uh, and access to flexible use funding? We can. Excellent. Um, well, we'll certainly continue to work with you um, on that as we move forward. And again, thank you very much uh, for your time and testimony today. Uh, and with that, I will now recognize... Uh, Rep. Lamalfa for five minutes. Hi, am I up? Hi. Hi, Congress. Yes, you're on. Okay, good. Thank you. It's hard to hear her. All right. Thank you. Um, appreciate it, Mr. Chairman. And uh, Undersecretary, good to see you. Or should I just say, Soch, it's great to see you, man. That's awesome. Um, it's uh, great to have you in this position here, so appreciate you. Um, let me launch into a couple things here. Um, the uh, the issue on GT, I mean, Ranking Member Thompson touched upon it a minute ago, uh, but I want to take it a little farther on the reconnect round three. Um, what we're finding is that uh, the, the 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 groups that are avail, available, making them availing themselves to the funding, I'm not doing very good right now, Anyway, um, that are trying to access this program, right, are uh, generally has been with uh, municipal or nonprofit. But what we're finding is that there's I have some very small companies up in my district as well that do happen to be private companies. They don't fit the other categories. So I guess with the point system, the the preference points is they're left out because uh, they, they don't score as many points on the scale. But uh, um, the policy of the USDA is supposed to not really uh, discriminate against them in that sense because they're, they're the only game in town in these uh, very rural areas, too, what we're talking about. So can, can, we, uh, can we take a further look at that and see that the point system, that that, that scale does not harm uh, them just because they might be happen to be privately held companies? 
Congressman LaMalfa, I really appreciate your efforts to make sure that we're reaching every community and communities that have been unserved or underserved, uh, making Thank sure you. that we have the right partners at the table. Uh, when it comes to the voluntary point system, we were thinking very intentionally about how we bring new partners to the table, but also recognizing that there's a lot of different ways we want people to distinguish their projects. So whether that is making sure that you're reaching uh, vulnerable communities, socially vulnerable, vulnerable communities, the most rural, least dense places, that's another way to receive priority points. Uh, the places with the lowest connection under 25.3, for example, is another way to, uh, to, to get everyone at the table and to distinguish your application. So the cooperative or local government piece is 15 points out of a total 150 points that you could allow you to distinguish your, uh, your, your applications. There's lots of ways to build a great application, and we're eager to work with folks on the ground in, in California uh, to make sure that, that they're finding those ways to do that. Is, is it possible then to have it looked at it as if they're the only game in town for, for you know, we're talking extremely rural areas uh, between mountain ranges and such, there's really the point scale, there isn't a way for these barely connected areas to have any other way to do it. So I guess, is it possible to put aside that part because that's it, it's either they're in or they're out, you know, you know what I'm saying? So there's $1.15 billion available in this round. There'll be another $2 billion available, a little bit less than that, thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, and so we expect that we'll be working with different partners depending on who is, like you said, on the ground in those areas and are eager to work with them as we continue to distribute these funds. Sorry, I'm fooling with the machine here. Is uh, on, on one other one other point here too is that the opioid crisis in rural areas has been uh, a tremendous issue, but it's been kind of put aside by COVID. And so, what we're looking at is that in these rural areas, it's, uh, it, it still needs to be uh, addressed, as as always. And we realize that. But what, what can you tell me about the focus of USDA on in uh, rural issues with the opioid? Uh, picking that back up after the uh, tremendous issues with, with COVID waning here, but still the opioid problem we have. What are we looking at there? Is, is it, uh, how can we emphasize more of that work? Congressman Malfa, thank you so much for asking that question. It's absolutely true that uh, we can't, we, we have to continue to take on the challenges of the opioid crisis, and, and you're right to put it in the context of COVID-19. Uh, in the midst of COVID-19, we saw deaths related to opioid overdoses, overdoses increase uh, in a way we had even beyond what we'd seen before. And so as we are coming out of this crisis, as CF, the Community Facilities Grant Program and, and Loan and Guaranteed Loan Program, uh, has shifted from standing up these new, uh, these new programs to address COVID-19, we're also eager uh, to work to continue to, to identify projects and opportunities to deal with the opioid crisis. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Good to see you. I'll yield back my time. Great to see you, Congress. Thank you. I now recognize um, Rep. Custer for five minutes. Thank you so much, Chairman Delgado. And I have to say, I could not ask for a better bipartisan transition, Mr. LaMalfa, um, as the chair uh, of our bipartisan addiction and mental health task force. I very much look forward to working with you to transition from the post-COVID era to uh, renew our um, attention to addiction. 
um, in rural America. I want to give a warm welcome to our good friend, Undersecretary Torres Small. Welcome back to the Ag Committee. It was such a treat to have you in New Hampshire last December and to show you the key role that USDA rural utility loan programs play in the growth of the solar energy infrastructure in the Granite State. And as you saw during your visit, USDA rural development programs across the board have a tremendous impact in my state uh, with broadband, water, energy, housing, and beyond. We look forward to the reauthorization of the Farm Bill in 2023. It's a great opportunity to take stock of how we continue to strengthen our farms and our rural communities. And with that in mind, I want to begin by asking about the value-added producer grants. In 2020, I led bipartisan legislation to temporarily waive the matching fund requirement for participation in this program in light of financial challenges related to COVID-19. Ultimately, we were able to secure a significant reduction for the matching requirement. I believe this value-added program will only grow in demand as small family farmers and producers seek to diversify their products and make connections with local consumers. This is a win-win for both ends of the food supply chain. Madam Undersecretary, could you comment on the impact you've seen this program have as we emerge from the pandemic and are there steps that we can take to ensure that small farmers can continue to participate in this program? Congresswoman Kester, thank you so much for your work on the value-added producer grant. It is one of the most popular things that we do, uh, which is helping farmers and ranchers take a product and find ways to infuse more value into that product. Often it also means opening up more and better markets, uh, which, as we've seen in the midst of COVID, is exceptionally crucial for our food supply chain resiliency. I've seen on the ground how farmers are working to get more greens to local grocery stores because of value-added producer grants. Uh, I've seen that that connection that I think we, we can talk about more in terms of connecting rural communities to urban communities and how we are truly feeding America. Uh, so I think there is this great opportunity for value-added producer grants. I've also heard them talked about in the context of meat processing, whether it's cold storage, whether it's making sure we're using all of the byproducts available to, to create value out of that. So I think there's it's one of the most popular programs and certainly appreciate your your interest in it, and I'm happy to provide technical assistance uh, as you look at that further. Well, it's so important to boost the rural economy, and particularly with the rising energy costs, it just seems a complete waste of consumer dollars to be trucking our food halfway across the country, um, you know, when it could be grown in, in the community uh, right where people live. Switching gears, I, I want to return to the topic of the day, rural broadband. As you know, we're excited that several communities in New Hampshire received a loan for broadband build-out through the ReConnect pilot program last year. But as millions of Americans still don't have reliable broadband access, including 13 percent of New Hampshire farmers, I'm concerned to hear that broadband funding has sometimes been used to overbuild existing broadband networks instead of bringing the benefits of broadband to areas with no service. Would you agree that the priority for broadband funding and programs at the USDA should be on areas currently without any broadband? And if so, what steps are you taking to make sure that the ReConnect funds prioritize those communities with no broadband? 
So one of the steps that we have uh, taken when it comes to uh, making sure that we're reaching places that are unserved right now is included in that priority system uh, priority points, the largest number of priority points available for serving unserved areas, which is defined as less than 25-3. So we see uh, an incredible opportunity to reach those places, and frankly, rural development has been uh, one of the most successful in terms of reaching those places because of our experience working in rural communities. I'm also really glad that you brought up farmers and access on farms as one of the challenges. I was in Virginia uh, earlier, actually late last year, and a farmer came up to me and he said, thank you so much for increasing the required build-out speed to 100 up, 100 down. I want to expand my work in precision ag. I want to be a contributor when it comes to taking on, uh, to using climate smart technology, and it's going to take having that connectivity to make that happen. So that's uh, another way that we're working to both reach the the unserved places now in terms of those priority points, and then also to make sure that rural communities aren't stuck in a slow lane, because this isn't just about now, it's about how do we make sure that these are great, thriving rural communities into the future. Excellent. Well, my time is up. I'm going to submit for the record my final question on the Healthy Food Financing Initiative, which has been really helpful for immigrant and refugee farmers in New Hampshire. But I yield back, Mr. Chairman, and thank you again uh, for having me, Undersecretary. I think she's an outstanding member of the uh, new administration. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Now I would like to uh, recognize Rep. Kamek for five minutes. Thank you uh, to... uh, Undersecretary, for your presence here today, I appreciate your your uh, testimony as well as my colleagues and your uh, questions. This is an incredibly important issue. I think COVID highlighted uh, precisely the need for high speed, reliable, affordable internet across America and and certainly in rural America, be it for telehealth, for commerce, or for education. Uh, I represent a largely rural district in North Central. Northeast Florida. And we have children who do their homework in a Hardee's parking lot. We have uh, government entities that cannot open their doors um, because of restrictions from the federal government and can only serve via a telehealth or a, uh, a telework model. But because of the lack of internet connectivity, we are not able to take advantage of those resources. So my constituents are in kind of a catch-22. So um, I know that I am I am not alone in this uh, constituents across America in this, but I have a real concern about overbuilding and the, the relationship between USDA and FCC. So if you look at the FCC's current definition of unserved, that's an area that is lacking speeds of 25 over 3 megabits per second. Now, the definition also describes communities throughout my own district where even minimal broadband service is unavailable, leaving entire communities behind. Secretary Vilsack recently announced that USDA would fund projects capable of serving 100 over 20 
megabits, including areas that were already receiving funds from the FCC's Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, the RDOF uh, auction, to serve areas at speeds of 25 over 3. Now, I'm concerned that we have multiple providers in the same area that are going to use federally subsidized overbuilding um, to deploy broadband, which really doesn't make economical sense. It's not good use of taxpayer funds. So how are we going to prevent overbuilding in these areas while still leaving areas that aren't touched by by the art off auctions and by the the reconnect program how are we going to address this Congresswoman, thank you so much for your advocacy for the rural communities and the people that you serve, especially when it comes to people who uh, do not have good, reliable internet right now. Uh, It is a priority of USDA rural development to make sure that we are reaching those unserved communities. We have the same definition of 25 up, 3 down as unserved, making sure that we're reaching your constituents. And that's why in the priority points that we've identified, 50 points out of 150 are specifically for that unserved population of 25 up, 3 down. Uh, Additionally, if they're in a very uh, undense population, if they're really rural, that's another uh, another, uh, set of priority points. So we know how crucial it is to be able to prioritize those projects, and we know how crucial it is to make sure that rural communities aren't stuck in the slow lane for the rest of, of time, right? This is an investment not just for now, but also into the future. So making sure that we have a backbone that will be able to compete on the speeds that we see is crucial uh, because we certainly saw in the midst of COVID with your kids who are sitting in the Hardy's parking lot that 25 up, three down isn't enough for them to be able to listen to their teacher and learn from home. And so we want to make sure we're building out to where it is enough for them to compete on the global marketplace. So in the, in the time I have remaining, I just want to do a quick follow up on that. So w- under the art off, and I know that this is more the FCC side, um, it prohibits, it h- prohibits these entities, these census tracts, these municipalities, once they have, uh, been auctioned off, um, to participate in other programs, but so many of these areas would fall or qualify for USDA. Are there conversations ongoing with FCC and your office about how we can navigate this? Because under that FCC guidance, there's 10 years to to deploy the service. We can't afford to wait 10 years. So there absolutely are conversations ongoing about how we coordinate between uh, RDOF and uh, Reconnect programs. Uh, We are considering projects at a very granular level. What does this look like on the ground? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that in this round uh, we, we started to do. So that we're looking very specifically at how an application would impact current RDOF places um, and making sure that we recognize building out will take Building out is going to take construction time and beyond, and making sure that whatever decisions we make, they are in coordination uh, across the federal government. Excellent. Thank you. And I yield back. Thank you. Uh, I now recognize Rep. Feenstra for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman Delgado and Ranking Member Fishbach. Undersecretary Torres Small, my district is extremely rural and the lack of broadband connectivity is a huge issue for my constituents, like we've heard uh, a lot of others talking about. Rural development oversees the ReConnect program, which most recently, most recently received $2 billion through the Infrastructure Investments and Job Act. This money is in addition to the over $1 billion the ReConnect program has already been appropriated in 2019. Uh, 
I'm, I'm wondering, are you coordinating with the FCC and do you intend to utilize their maps when distributing these new broadband funds? If not, why not? Thank you so much, Congressman, and really for your focus when it comes to good, reliable internet. It's crucial, and it's crucial that I think a theme of this conversation is about partnerships. It's about what can we all bring to the table to solve this problem. And what, what I've seen is that that takes partnerships on the ground, and it takes partnerships in the federal government. And so we've been working hard to make sure that we're bringing our best to the table. And that is our long-tenured experience working in rural communities, working with different kinds of potential providers. Uh, our experience in Indian country that we've been able to use uh, with NTIA, for example, as they do some of that outreach, and also uh, our experience of very so granular applications. Or will you be using the maps or not? So we are supporting better maps through our granular uh, assessment of applications. So we are, are legally required to look further than the maps currently look uh, when it comes to identifying places served. We've got a robust process where you uh, if, if there's a question about whether or not there's service, uh, the, the person who's claiming that there's providing that service uh, will have to respond and demonstrate that service. And then that information goes back to NTIA and FCC as they uh, continue to build out their maps. So it's certainly one of the things that one aspect of an application that we look at, but we go deeper and then we communicate that information back to uh, the FCC and NTIA. Okay, so so my question is, I have a lot of rural telcos in, in, in Iowa, and obviously they, they want to participate. They want to be part of the ReConnect program, and obviously they, they rely on the maps, and their maps are very important, simply because if, if somebody horns in on their, their area, all of a sudden us local, the local tel telcos are, are, you know, X'd out. They don't have a chance. So how, how do we move forward with this concern? That's, that's a really good point, that there are telecom providers that are relying on the maps that are out there. I would say there's also people who are in those areas where it says they're covered and they're not. And we want to make sure that they have access to good, reliable internet. So the maps give us a chance to look at an area and then identify what truly is served and not, and identify projects based on that. That's a, a legal requirement from the rural development side, um, but I'm happy to coordinate with you and your team further as, as you identify potential challenges. Yeah, 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 this is, to me, a really big talk topic because what we have seen in Iowa is you have a big national company or, or somebody that says, hey, we're, we're going to come in and provide you with, with uh, you know, broadband and it really doesn't happen or it doesn't have the up download speeds. Whereas our, our rural telecommunications that have invested a lot of dollars in, into rural areas are, are not, not getting a chance. And, and I, this really concerns me. All I want is the best broadband possible for all these districts. And I sometimes think that we're down this path of one size fits all. And, you know, I, I'm here to say, you know, can we work together on this? I think we can absolutely work together. Rural development, I think, lives and breathes the motto, one size doesn't fit all. That's why we've got regional folks who are reviewing the applications, who know the partners on the ground. That's why we do uh, look beyond the maps and look at the specific people and whether or not they actually have service. And, and that's why we've built this uh, set of priority points so that people can cobble together different types of projects that answer the specific challenge on the ground, like the constituents in Iowa that you represent. Well, thank you so much. I got just a little bit of time left. Hey, uh, Undersecretary, uh, 
bio bio preferred the USDA's bio preferred program has proven to spur economic growth and job creation through its uh, creation in 2002 the farm bill and the expansion in 2014 farm bill how has this program achieved its mission to develop and expand bio-based products again this is very big for Iowa and I, I would like to know what recommendations do you have for the bio preferred program yeah, bio-based products are, are definitely exciting. It's where you take what could have otherwise been a byproduct and turn it into a product itself. Um, just a small fact, we used bio-based uh, utensils at my wedding. Uh, so certainly know uh, that it's an opportunity for the future. The bio-based, um, bio-preferred program that you're talking about helps identify to the federal government and to purchasers uh, that there are these products out there. Uh, it, it can also support those markets. And, and we look forward to working with you more uh, to make sure that, that, uh, that we're giving you the information you need uh, to get this done. Well, thank you so much for your comments, and I yield back. Thank you. Thank you. I now uh, recognize uh, Rep. Balderson for five minutes. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Madam Undersecretary, thank you for being here today. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, one of my concerns with these federal dollars, and specifically with the ReConnect program, is overbuilding. As you are probably aware, the IIJA redefined eligible service areas for the ReConnect program from 90% of households underserved to 50%. Other IIJA broadband programs, such as those administered by the NTIA, have an 80% underserved threshold. My first question is two parts. Would you support raising the unserved threshold from 50% to at least 80% in order to be in line with the IIJA programs? Thank you so much, Congressman Bellison. It's wonderful to see you, too. Uh, we will certainly do what Congress tells us to do, and we have, we've shown our ability to do that with the different uh, instructions based on the different amounts that have been allocated to reconnect through CARES and then through Bill, uh, and we will continue to adapt to that. One of the things that we have seen is that often companies are trying to cobble together uh, uh, projects that will pencil out. And so that means reaching unserved people, but sometimes in places that are also surrounded by uh, a little bit more coverage. And so it'll be interesting to see with the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, how that impacts the type of projects that are presented. And we're okay. happy to work with you uh, to provide information in the future about that. All right. Thank you very much. And how does the USDA plan to avoid overbuilding the other federally qualified projects when the USDA is operating under different standards than the NTIA? You know, I, I mentioned um, earlier just the, the impact that building to 100 up, 100 down can have for farmers when they want to be part of the solution when it comes to precision ag, especially with increased droughts that we're seeing, for example. And so recognizing that we want to make sure we're building to the needs of the future, not the past. Uh, with COVID-19, we certainly saw that 25 up, 3 down is the past. And so we're committed to prioritizing those places that don't have that service now, but also recognizing we need to look at what, what's going to what it's going to take to have a vibrant rural community in the future. Okay. Thank you very much. My next question is, I agree with your statement that broadband is a make or break issue for rural America. To that end, when USDA makes an award under its reconnect program or issues some other funding support to expand broadband, what steps does the department take after the fact to measure that the promised service is being delivered? Mm. 
That's a, a really great question, and we'll follow up with more details on it as we continue to uh, make new awards when it comes to, to reconnect and the current investments now. Um, but part of the rural development's special sauce and its expertise is people on the ground, mm -hmm. uh, is the GFRs who know those providers. And so we are available when there are concerns, people who are expressing, hey, they say we're being served right now, but we're not really, uh, and being able to, to verify whether or not that claim service is truly existing. Okay. Thank you. Look forward to that. Um, my last question is broadband availability is critical in rural America, not just at home and in school, but also in the field as our farmers adapt precision agricultural solutions. Solutions, excuse me. Unfortunately, most broadband performance data is focused either on buildings that have fixed connections or on roads where wireless connectivity can be mapped through drive testing. But with this enhanced focus on precision agriculture, we are missing a key element. Would you consider partnering with broadband measurement companies to collect better data about wireless broadband availability over our bull lands? You know, we absolutely need to use tools to find out, have more precise identification of where broadband exists and where it doesn't. And that's especially true when it comes to rural development that has to have more specific information for its awards. Um, so we would certainly love to follow up with your team about the resources that you're talking about and recognize that we also have a, a pretty... Uh, a, a catch-all system in terms of identifying what places are claimed to be covered, uh, then verifying that they're covered, requiring the company that's claiming that to, to show that, and then, if necessary, testing on the ground. Um, but we'd love to see if there are other ways to, to address that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I now recognize Rep. Schreier for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And welcome, Undersecretary Torres Small. It's wonderful to see you. And I want to thank you for taking the time to visit my district a few weeks ago. We loved having you there. Um, today, I'd like to focus on how USDA rural development programs can help the development of a strong wood products industry. And specifically, I'd like to focus on one pending application to the Business and Industry Loan Guarantees Program that is crucial to my home state of Washington. Uh, so I would love for you to give full consideration uh, to the Excalibur Rural Lending Applications to the USDA's BNI program for the construction and development of projects to create the Darrington Wood Innovation Center, which will actually house three separate entities. Uh, to, together, they will enable the Darrington Wood Innovation Center to develop a mass timber production facility and serve as a truly one-of-a-kind hub for innovation in wood product manufacturing. So this will bring high-quality jobs back to a rural area in need of investment and economic revitalization. Uh, the center represents a new model, really, for uh, the future of the nation's wood product industry by focusing on cross-laminated timber, which encourages long-term forest management that improves forest health, reduces wildfire risk, all while sequestering carbon, creating family wage jobs, and providing materials that will lower the, the cost of housing. And for the past five years, the town of Darrington, in collaboration with private industry and nonprofits and other community stakeholders, has really pioneered the development of this new rural industrial manufacturing complex. Uh, the, this effort has already attracted $6 million in grants from the Economic Development Administration. 
uh, and two million in grants and loans from Washington State with more state funding likely on the way. So it has broad support. And this first phase involves the construction of a cross-laminated timber plant, modular fabrication facility, and remanufacturing sawmill and kiln facility. Um, these projects are seeking bids now, and they are ready to go as soon as possible. So this is a, a priority in Washington State and is fully in line with the purpose of the BNI program. And I, I strongly support the application and hope you to give it strong consideration. Uh, as you know, Madam Undersecretary, communities in my district and throughout Washington State are at extreme wildfire risk and approximately 3 million acres of forest land uh, is in need of restoration. Uh, and resiliency. So developing this strong wood products industry represents a unique opportunity to create wages, revitalize the community, make our forests healthier and resilient, uh, reduce housing prices and increase carbon sequestration long-term. Um, I was wondering, Undersecretary Torres Small, um, just how you think about um, USDA's rural development programs and how they might be able to support the development of the wood products industry in Washington state and around the country. Congresswoman Schreier, thank you so much for your work for Washington State, for uh, your support in finding innovative solutions, like when it comes to wood products. Uh, we certainly are aware of just how much support this specific, this one project has uh, across the board, and I know that uh, my team has been in close communication with your team uh, about that. Uh, we certainly uh, recognize that, that level of support and appreciate your passion for your community. Uh, we do have some statutory uh, requirements that we have to evaluate when it comes to the BNI program. Uh, when it's one project, uh, if they're co-borrowers, uh, you can't borrow more than, than uh, I think it's uh, 20 million. Uh, so certainly we'll continue to uh, keep in close contact with you and your team about how this may or may not impact this project. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your attention to it and calling that to my attention so I can address it on our end. And uh, I want to thank you for being here, congratulate you on your position, and I yield back. Thank you. I uh, now recognize Congresswoman Plaskett for five minutes. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for this hearing. And I'm especially glad to see Undersecretary Torres Small with us. We know the tremendous work that she did as one of our colleagues, and we know that she's going to bring that same energy and dedication to the role that she has now. Um, Undersecretary, one of the areas, of course, as you can imagine, that is important to me is disaster aid, living in an area that is tremendously impacted by climate change. Are there any rural development components to disaster aid after a rural area has experienced disaster? And is there anything Congress should consider in this regard? Congresswoman Plaskett, thank you so much for your work in the Virgin Islands and for the country, especially when it comes to disasters and extreme weather, which we are seeing increasingly. Uh, so since I've, I've been on the job uh, since October, anytime there's a disaster, I get an email late that night identifying what the issue is, uh, identifying how extensive the damage is and what the region is. And then uh, every morning there's an update in terms of uh, what's happening to our, our offices on the ground, because that's often we have over 450 offices uh, across the country. And so identifying that, our employees on the ground, uh, the properties, so the loans uh, the, that we've given for both single family and the people living in apartments, multifamily, uh, and any impact on those properties. Uh, and then the area in general. 
general, because there are resources that can be brought to bear uh, for folks even uh, if they're not currently borrowing within rural development. Uh, we're coordinating closely with FEMA to make sure they have the information about available units, uh, either single-family or multifamily housing near the area if people, um, uh, if, if they need access to places to live uh, within that. And then we're also uh, communicating with our borrow borrowers, because if they have a loan payment, they're going to be, on top of everything else they're worried about at that moment, they want to know what's going to happen in terms of the expectations for those loan payments. So those are some, we also, I, I will just say, work closely with FEMA to make sure FEMA is taking the lead. Uh, it's important to have that lead agency, um, but coordinate carefully with them in terms of the resources we have to bear. And is there anything that you believe that we as Congress should do to support you, particularly when it comes to speeding up and making sure that those uh, that coordination takes place immediately after a disaster um, so that that aid could get right to individuals where they need it? I really appreciate your focus on this issue, and I'm happy to provide any technical assistance in terms of specific challenges that you're seeing on the ground. I think that's maybe the way we can best be best responsive to finding the best solution to support your constituents. Thank you. Uh, the USDA has provided a variety of assistance and grant programs to U.S. territories, almost all of which are considered rural areas. But my colleagues and I believe that there can be improved in the area of energy assistance, renewable energy adoption, energy efficiency, and energy grid resiliency. The viability and sustainability of energy in the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico is of the utmost importance for the well-being of our rural communities. Energy costs on our islands are higher than anywhere else in the country, and our geographic location leaves us vulnerable to climate change, but also provides opportunities for adoption of innovative energy resources. Um, Congressman Ted Liu and I introduced the Renewable Energy for Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands Act, H.R. 2791, to create a small new assistance program within the Agriculture Department, which grants may be awarded to nonprofits to facilitate renewable energy development, energy efficiency, smart grids, microgrids, etc. Can you provide any perspective on the soundness of a small new funding stream for USDA to support renewable energy development and energy efficiency and resiliency in U.S. territories with our unique energy needs? First, it just warms my heart that uh, your uh, Virgin Islands, as they address the challenges of climate change, also want to be part of the solution. Uh, we're eager to provide technical assistance on your specific legislation and recognize uh, that it's crucial to be providing support on the ground for developing uh, those solutions and climate smart tools. Thank you very much for your support, and I yield back. Thank you. I now uh, recognize uh, Rep. Scott from Georgia for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman and Madam Undersecretary. It's nice to see you. I'm sorry that I am seeing you through Zoom, but I was in uh, 2118, which is a committee room that I know you spent a lot of time in as a member of the Armed Services Committee. So I hope you're well and uh, look forward to seeing you in person. I have a couple of quick questions that deal with uh, the middle mile with regard to uh, broadband access. And the 2018 Farm Bill provided the department with the authority to finance uh, the middle mile infrastructure projects. Uh, to date, uh, my understanding is that no funds have been appropriated for uh, middle mile projects. And could you speak to the importance of middle mile connectivity for rural communities? And what is the department doing to advocate within the administration to put these resources in the middle mile uh, to support 
rural America. Congressman Scott, it is wonderful to see you even virtually, and I, I deeply appreciate your question about how do we get the backbone of infrastructure across rural America so that we're certainly reaching that last mile, the, the last homes, but also recognizing that as part of that, uh, building that middle mile connectivity is crucial. Uh, and it's certainly something that uh, through the Ag Committee, uh, the rural development has been working on for decades. Uh, to, to address. I was happy to provide any technical assistance in terms of specific questions you might have uh, in terms of the impact of um, the, the previous investments that we've made as you evaluate and, and work with your colleagues in Congress about future investments. Thank, thank you, ma'am. And I think, I think kind of the frustration for everybody is how slow it's been to actually get the, the resources to uh, the people to, to implement the, the uh, technology that's needed in in rural America. We, we also have a request uh, for the department to provide a comprehensive report on all of the broadband related activities financed by the department in the preceding fiscal year. Uh, the fiscal year 2020 report uh, was released at the end of January 22 is my understanding. That's about a year and a half after the close and certainly you being a member of Congress, you understand the frustration with not having the facts that we need to make uh, the decisions that we make. So any help going forward with making sure that those reports are done in a more timely manner uh, would, would be appreciated. And any, any idea when we could actually see the 2021 report uh, come out? I want to make sure we get you the best information possible. So I'll make sure our team follows up with you in terms of that. Okay. Well, we, we very much look forward to working with you. Uh, we want to see our rural utility services have the ability to, uh, to put broadband in and deliver broadband. And obviously what technology is right in one part of the, the county might not be right in another part of the county. So certainly look forward to working with you on the flexibility uh, with, our, with our service providers and, and how they can best deliver that. But I appreciate your work. I appreciate you personally and uh, look forward to, to seeing you and working with you to resolve these issues for rural America. So thank you, Madam Undersecretary. Thank you, Congressman Scott. Thank you. I now uh, recognize Congresswoman Pingree for five minutes. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Thank you for having this hearing. I'm pleased to be here and uh, welcome. Madam Undersecretary, we are so happy to have you in that position. And it's just wonderful to hear your, um, your knowledge and enthusiasm. It all comes through in answering everyone's questions. So we're looking forward to having you come visit us in Maine sometime. And uh, I have a few questions for you today. So um, I'll just jump right in. I really appreciate it. So many people have asked broadband questions. So you, you clearly know how important it is to everyone on this committee. Um, we have some issues in Maine related to um, reconnect, and I feel like I've been bringing this up for a while, but uh, we, we are the model of the communities you're talking about. When you mentioned the town in Iowa where you have to go to a separate, you know, you have to go to a hill somewhere to get cell phone service, uh, that's pretty much everywhere in Maine. So um, we are a very rural state, and we've had a lot of issues in getting connected, and we know how critically important it is. Um, but a lot of them are struggling the very small projects. These are projects of a million dollars or less, but the program requirements are so burdensome, there are still struggling to move forward two years later. And we compare that to the uh, broadband projects were funded by um, 
the state allocated CARES Act funding, they're completing their bills in eight to 12 months. So can you talk to me a little bit about any flexibility you can provide uh, to existing ReConnect awardees who are struggling? Um, is there support that rural development can provide to existing ReConnect awardees to help them navigate the program requirements? We, we really want to see them up and running. Thank you so much, Congresswoman Pingree, for, for working with your constituents and applicants as we try to address this challenge. We certainly want to be responsive to their needs and look forward to following up with you specifically on the challenges you're facing. Uh, because when it comes to rural development, one of our strengths and frankly one of the biggest needs in serving rural communities is something I mentioned in my opening statement, that you don't necessarily have a grant writer. That lack of capacity to be able to do the follow-up on this work, uh, you don't have someone who's paid specifically to make sure that these, this million-dollar project is is uh, you're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. And, and thankfully, with the bipartisan infrastructure law, when it comes to reconnect, there was a specific amount of money that was set aside for technical assistance. And I, I look forward to working with you uh, as that uh, program gets developed to identify potential ways to, to be that resource for communities as they're going through this. We also have the GFRs in regions across the country that have experience both from the application stage uh, with these specific projects and certainly will bring that um, as an as a opportunity for support. And then where we've seen uh, some time that it's taking to get these projects off the ground, sometimes with environmental uh, review, for example, uh, we've implemented a, a focused tiger team to try to uh, address some of those challenges and, and speed along the process with some of the consultations that were necessary that frankly slowed down a little bit in the midst of COVID. Uh, so we're, we're eager to work with you specifically on the project because it's often a very specific issue that, that's being faced, but that's why that technical assistance is so crucial so that we can respond to those specific needs. Great. Well, we will definitely follow up with those uh, uh, grantees that are still dealing with difficult situations. Um, another quick question on the value-added uh, producer grant and the food safety implementation. In the 2018 Farm Bill, I worked to include dedicated funding to help producers upgrade their practices and equipment to improve food safety through this program. Uh, so we're already talking about the 2023 Farm Bill, but this change has still not been implemented. I know USDA held a listening session about this in the fall, but I want to just get an update about when implementation of this food safety financial, in financial assistance through um, Value Added Producers Grant might be available. Uh, thank you so much, Congressman. I will make sure that my team is following up with you on that. Uh, we, we certainly have been uh, implementing a lot of new programs in the midst of COVID to respond to some of the most urgent needs. Uh, that's, that's created a capacity challenge, and I want to make sure we're giving you the best information about uh, the promulgation timing for, for the Value Added Producer Grant and the food safety piece that you worked so hard on. Great. Um, that's such a burdensome uh, cost for many small to medium-sized farmers. It would be great to make sure they get that assistance. Um, last, I just have 30 seconds, so I'll be quick about this. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned about in the uh, meat and poultry processing expansion program, uh, $150 million uh, investment for projects up to $25 million. Um, this is probably just going to be a statement to you, but um, I'm worried about it, that being used for larger scale projects. And we all know it's been brought up by other members how important it is to ex um, expand our existing capacity with small to medium sized processors. So um, I'm going to have to take your answer, uh, you know, get it later, but I'm just emphasizing that point. We want to make sure that uh, 150 doesn't get eaten up in a few big projects. We really want it spread out. Thank you. We look forward to following up uh, on, uh, on the record.
Great. Um, uh, I, I yield back. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, I now recognize Congresswoman Spanberger for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman Delgado, for holding this important hearing. It is so exciting to be here today with our friend and former colleague and Undersecretary for Rural Development, um, especially as we're starting to plan for the 2023 Farm Bill. Certainly over the last couple of years, we have seen significant challenges facing our communities at large, but in particular our rural communities with the unprecedented and, un and unique challenges uh, that we face because of covid um, and the associated economic uh, hurdles. So these challenges in rural communities, as you well know, have ranged from broadband infrastructure challenges um, to a supply chain bottlenecks that really have ravaged critical industries like meat and poultry. And in response to these, these challenges, USDA's Office of Rural Development um, and Congress have collaborated to offer really critical assistance and solutions. And through funds from the American Rescue Plan, we have seen new programs that have been launched to address food supply chain concerns, improve access to broadband and telehealth, and to make our critical industries whole. So to follow up slightly on, on Congresswoman Pingree's question as well, um, I was so proud to host you in my district with Undersecretary Moffitt to discuss USDA's announcement of the Food Supply Chain Guaranteed Loan Program to help expand meat and poultry processing capacities using funds from the American Rescue Plan. I'm very excited that that program is in part based on the Butcher Block Act, which I co-led alongside Dusty Johnson. Um, and as you saw during that visit to my district, there are so many small processors in communities like mine who are ready to answer the call and help reduce bottlenecks in our meat supply chain, um, but, but need that bit of support. So could you give an update on this program, how it pertains to the funds that have been directed for meat and poultry processing, and how many awards have gone out so far? Congresswoman Spamberger, thank you so much for that question and for your advocacy for meat processors and uh, for, for agriculture across the board. Uh, I really appreciated the chance to get to Gordonsville, Virginia, and, and to meet uh, ranchers and meat processors who were trying to call, to answer that call uh, in the midst of COVID. People were needing, were wanting meat, and um, they couldn't get it processed in time. So they were trying to find all sorts of creative ways to make that work, and everything down to the county zoning made it hard. Uh, and so all of those things they have to navigate is something we're certainly looking at. So you mentioned the Food Supply Guaranteed Loan Program, which I think is a crucial opportunity uh, to work with local lenders uh, on projects. Uh, but sometimes for the smaller ones, they may need more technical assistance. And that's why Undersecretary Moffitt was there. Um, they had a program that awarded $32 million um, for 167 meat and poultry slaughter and pot processing facilities to invest in that interstate commerce. Uh, and there's another, there'll be another round with 22 million. Uh, so certainly uh, looking at some of that assistance, technical assistance as well. And then when it comes to MPEP and making sure that we're taking on, that we're building out the middle uh, when it comes to meat processing, uh, the first focus is kind of that last mile. What's that last little piece to get a project over the edge to expand options? Um, but as we move into the future, also trying to identify uh, other projects projects that that are kind of more at the beginning of their work and how they can work with local lenders um, to provide, to receive support at the beginning stages of their work uh, to take it to fruition. And that certainly could include independent processors and uh, the smaller scale processors as well. And certainly as we work towards the 2023 Farm Bill, I, I think we'll want to work uh, in concert with your office uh, to determine how it is that we should consider extending some of these, uh, some of the funding, especially for these new loans, what we can learn from the 
implementation thus far uh, and working together with you and Undersecretary Moffitt, certainly um, how we can ensure that we're doing right by our, our small uh, producers uh, and, uh, and in so many cases would be meat processors. In your written testimony, uh, you mentioned investments made through the Rural Energy for America program, the REAP program. I've been a very strong supporter of REAP um, and have multiple pieces of legislation kind of focused on this program. Um, you know, notably, this program uh, in the bill that I've uh, sponsored would dramatically increase funding for the REAP program, expand eligibility, and create a fund for underutilized technologies, including biodigesters, digesters, or biofuel-related infrastructures. Um, and so as we're seeing insecurity and instability related uh, to Putin's horrific invasion of Ukraine, and we're seeing the, the increase of cost of natural gas and gasoline, I think this speaks now more than ever to funding to support REAP uh, is, is vital. It gives producers uh, a bit of independence and, and certainly uh, reduces their dependence on foreign energy and allows them to lower energy costs. My time is up, but I will follow up with questions for the record. Uh, to see what your thoughts may be on how uh, this incredibly important program really can give some dependence to our uh, rural communities and our farmers. Thank you for being here, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you. And that concludes uh, the question and answer uh, period today. Um, the work of, of rural uh, development is vital. Uh, to ensure that our rural communities have the resources they need uh, to become resilient uh, and to serve the members of their communities. Uh, as a former member of the House Agriculture Committee, Undersecretary uh, Torres Small understands uh, the importance of the policy decisions made by this committee, and it was certainly great to hear uh, directly from you uh, today about rural development's work and relevant policies in the 2018 Farm Bill. I want to thank you, Undersecretary. Um, and with that, we will adjourn under the rules of the committee. Uh, the record of today's hearing will remain open for 10 calendar days to receive additional material and supplementary written responses from the witness to any question posed by a member. This hearing of the Subcommittee on Commodity Exchanges, Energy and Credit is adjourned.